Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, Awareness Explorers. It's great to have you here again, and I'm your co-host, Jonathan Robinson, and with my trusty friend and co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. I'm excited today. We're doing something a little bit different than we normally do, Brian. Shake it up a little bit. We have a, a special guest, Patricia Dennison, and we'll be introducing her in a second. But one of the things that makes us a little bit different is that we'll be playing some of Patricia's songs which are about non-dual awareness. And I like the idea of using songs to kind of guide us into higher states. But first, a little bit about Patricia. She began her musical career touring with a folk group called Heaven and Earth in 1970, and that sold over 10,000 copies of their debut album, Refuge. And then while living in New York, she raised her family, returned to school, and pursued a career in teaching. And along the way, she discovered non-dual philosophy as she studied with non-dual teachers such as Francis Lucille and Rupert Spira. Then in 2007, she started writing and recording music again. She published her first solo album called Who's Watching? And in 2010, combined it with her love of music and her non-dual perspective on life. She has a new album out called Sky Watching. And we're going to hear several songs today from her initial solo album, Who's Watching? Well, welcome to Awareness Explorers, Patricia. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's great to be here. You know, I'm I'm curious. Uh, not many people have combined uh, their non-dual philosophy with music. I have a friend named John Aston who we had on the show a while back. And I love his music. I love being able to listen to it and just kind of ride the waves of his lyrics into higher states of consciousness. I'm curious, what was your intention in in combining your love of non-dual philosophy and music? Well, I guess I could say it all started with my dad, who I was very close to. He was a fantastic piano player. And I spent a lot of time with him harmonizing with my siblings around him. I mean, really working hard so that we sounded like the church choir, which I sang in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, he also was uh, a staunch Catholic. I mean, he was so reverent and devotional. And when I got into the non-dual thing, we used to have some really great conversations, you know, about the God concept. Mm -hmm. And, you know, non-dual is very different from Catholicism. So uh, it was some interesting talks. And in fact, I think um, later you're going to play a song that he used to sing at the piano that just has his heart just was so in it. You could it could bring you to tears. Mm. And I I always remembered him singing that. And that's the reason I did that song. I changed the words to be uh, more accepting of non-duality, but <laughs> he got the message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I had a teacher that really appreciated my talent, so he offered me a scholarship opportunity to the Fred Waring Workshop in Pennsylvania, and I met the Seckler family, and the daughter of... Mr. Seckler, who was my teacher there, became my singing partner. And we started a group together because of her father, who was a choral director. And the chorus traveled around with the big band that he had. Well, I didn't want to do that. And I started writing with my teacher's daughter, who was in my class. Her name was Jody. And we decided to move to New York City together and start writing. 
every night when we came home, I'd pick up the guitar and I'd start playing and she'd say, oh, play that again. And she she just loved it and I loved it. And, you know, we dedicated the whole album, our first album to our dads who were music lovers. How did you start with the non-dual lyrics? That seems like a big break. Well, it is a big break. To make a long story short, we got a spot in this uh, chorus where we traveled with her dad. And when we got to Chicago, there was the Ovation Recording Record Studio president. So he came backstage and he said, I want to sign you up. So that's how we got to be heaven on earth. And I don't know if you can see it. Here's my 1970 wow. LP, I guess they called it back then. <laughs> of Jody and I, our first record album. There we are, looking young. <laughs> so then we traveled around. We did great. We sold like 10,000 copies. We played in many places. We were the opening act for Harry Chapin down at the, the other end in the village. Then we went, oh, Boston, uh, Rhode Island. It was a trip. It was just me and Jody, two dogs and our manager. <laughs> Not yeah. an easy life. Anyway, she decided to stop singing and start a family. So there was a huge break in there. I followed in her footsteps and started my family. And that's when I guess I, I started the School of Practical Philosophy in New York. And, you know, I thought I was going to learn philosophy. I had my notebooks and my pen. And the first thing they told you was, put it down. We want you to really listen. And uh, it was a combination of many, many philosophies, Jainism, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, philosophers, Plato. And I, I was like, oh, well, this isn't what I expected, but it's great. You know, I hated going there every week because I had to trek across town. But when I got there, I was like, oh, my God, this is so important and so special. And it changed my life. The quality of my life just went from not so great to really, really wonderful. And I don't think my family would be the way they are right now if it wasn't for that influence and my children especially. Well, I'm thinking that we should get you to hear some of your music. I know Brian has some lined up. And maybe after we hear a song, we can discuss more of your your influence. Uh, what song did you choose, Brian, as the first song? The first song is going to be There Is No End. So tell us a little bit about There Is No End, Richard. Well, I think at the school, I was learning meditation, mantra meditation. And this is a song about the struggle that I had with it. The idea that you could sit and observe your mind was very exotic to me at that point in my life. And and when I tried to be still and listen to the mantra, it was like, oh, my God, this is the most incredible piece I ever, ever felt. And, you know, no matter what you do in life, what if you make a decision you're going to make a much better decision if you're calm and grounded. And I never had that experience before that. My life was so chaotic at that time. So um, this song is about just trying to, please get me back there. Please get me back there. <laughs> so that's what it's about. Great. Well, let's hear it. And uh, for you listeners who are on audio only, I will the lyrics in the show notes for you all who are watching on youtube i will display the lyrics on the screen so let's take a listen to there is no end Story once again with our 
Beautiful song, Patricia. Oh, thank I, you. I especially, I like the line, with each story I renew, I push away from life and you. And, uh, you know, there's so many good things in that song. I love combining, like, poetry, non-dual music. It's a way to really open the heart. And there's not that many people that, that do that. You know, all the lyrics yeah. that you listen to on the radio are are usually very crude or about falling in love or about breaking up in love. And it's nice to have some stuff about higher states of consciousness. So we need, we need more of those songs. Well, you know, Jonathan, I think my guitar was the voice of my heart. I, I wasn't a, a really big conversationalist mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I didn't, you know, being an introvert, I didn't really share my feelings that much. So I couldn't help but share this non-duality through my music. You know, yeah. it was uh, my way of communicating what was going on in my life. And it's often a better way to get the point across than through intellectual discussions, because <laughs> it goes to the heart rather than to the head. Yes. So from School of Practical Philosophy, it also sounds like in your bio, you mentioned that you studied with Francis Cecile and Rupert Spira. Was that a transition or was it sort of like part of the same trajectory? Well, when I left the School of Philosophy, my children went there and they left before I did. And my son especially was a very big influence on me because he was interested in the non-dual perspective and what they were teaching him at the school of philosophy but he only went there a couple of years and when he left he continued to um, be in touch with his friends and he was working on a construction project with one of them and he jumped it the person asked them him to go on an errand and he jumped in the truck 
uh, to go pick up something. And John Klein was in a tape in the truck. And he went crazy. He said, oh, my God, I got to find out who this guy is and if he has anybody here in the United States and or if there's anybody alive that knew him. So he did all this research and he found Francis Lucille, who lives out in California. And we started going to his retreats and reading about him. And and I was very influenced by it. And I started reading a lot of non-dual books. I mean, I had a library that was <laughs> too much. Anyway, I I really started understanding it and realizing that, yeah, if you don't use your experience, you know, because the school of philosophy was very devotional and, I don't know, it just seemed much more exotic, uh, the places that that I went there. I mean, maybe that was just my interpretation. But um, so I, I started studying non-duality, and I'm not a rich woman, and I never have been. So going out to California, got to, you know, ceased to be a possibility for me. So I discovered. Rupert Spira, who came to New York all the time and was a, a student of Francis. So we kind of latched on to him, and I really focused on only him. We started a meetup group with Rupert Spira uh, as our host, not, you know, physically, but uh, on tape. And, and we organized this little meeting and had it every week. and. That's where I met Brian. Right, that's, that's right. right. Sure, yeah. he used to come to your your apartment. You and Walter would host these beautiful meetings. Uh, we now do it on Zoom, uh, which started uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, let's hear another song uh, that's kind of a guided meditation. So, sure, we can... we're actually going to uh, play "Who's Watching," the title song from the CD. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Kirsha? Yeah, that I think was the beginning of my journey, you know, realizing that whatever is watching my life and my experience has always been with me. But I couldn't make that transition of, you know, thinking all the time or being all the time in that awareness and not, I didn't understand that I couldn't be my body still at that point. Um, so I, I think, you know, this song talked a lot about what it's like to be on that journey, imprisoned in your mind and then feeling freedom and groundedness and, I mean, the back and forth of it and not really quite understanding. And I was kind of newly married to Walter at that time. And just walking down the street, I mean, I, I was so madly in love with him. If I saw him look at another woman, I'd be like, wait a second, you're mine. You know, and I thought, well, well that can't be true love. <laughs> That's possessive, you know. And um, also a lot of the books that I was reading then, I fell in love with every teacher. I just thought that that was it. They had the right way to say it, you know, and then I'd come upon somebody else. And and then you heard through the grapevine that they were doing you know, things that weren't exactly living up to your integrity. And I I just was knocked off my socks about that. I just couldn't believe it, that someone would understand this way of looking at the world and and then do that, you know. And, and it scandalized me. So I wrote this song about, even though I don't know who's watching, somebody's watching. And do you want to be the person that you're being in that moment? Right. Um, so it sounds like who's watching has somewhat of a double meaning. Who's watching meaning like the witness, the non-dual witness of all our experience, but also, you know, your 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 actions in life are not unseen. Yes, yes, that was the whole thing of it. Exactly. Wow, fascinating. So, so let's, let's hear it. Hear it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, 
That's haunting and gorgeous and uh, thank you great so much. guitar work there. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. Yeah, the vocals and you would and you harmonize with yourself, right? And yeah, uh, and you know something I I find interesting on your album is that several of your songs are in Sanskrit, and we're actually going to play one of them next because I think it's it's quite beautiful, even though we might not know the language. Do you have a feeling that even if we don't know the language that the meaning somehow comes through or what? Yeah, it is a beautiful language. And it was one of the things that they taught you at the School of Philosophy so that you eventually could read the ancient text. You know, when we got to the Sanskrit dictionary, I was there for, I think, about 20 years. So I, you know, I had learned a lot. And the the dictionary blew me away because, you know, there wasn't just like a few interpretations of a word. It was like a whole history was behind it and several histories in it, depending on what it was with. And I mean, it was so involved. I've forgotten all of it, unfortunately. <laughs> but I did want to say something about this this language here. You know, when I'm singing it, I really could have used the Fred Waring diphthong <laughs> because you can't really hear the beauty of the language. So is it okay if I just say the first verse and then I'll let you know what the meaning is? Sure. It's because it's pronounced Sarwe Bahwa Boantu Sukina 
Sarve Santu Niramaya. Sarve Baha Drani Pasyantu Ma Kashtid Dukha Bahag Bahawit. And it doesn't really sound that way when you're singing it because, <laughs> you know, I had to worry about the notes. And anyway, it's, it is one of the prayers that I learned there that just is in my heart every day for every soul that I pass on the street. And the words are, all be happy, all be free of dis-ease, all creatures have well-being, and none be in misery of any sort. That is the perfect prayer. Yes. <laughs> because it's not just about you, and you know, dear, dear God or universe, please give me what I want. It's, it's generous. It's, it's yeah. all inclusive. Yes. Let's hear it. And how do you pronounce it? The song title? Sarway Prayer. Okay. Sarway Prayer. The V is like a wah. Even in another language that really speaks to me. Yeah, it's a beautiful prayer. Yeah, and I've read, and I'm certainly no scholar about this, but I've read that many people believe that certain Sanskrit words and sounds have a kind of a vibrational 
power. Yeah, that's what we were taught. The vowels are particularly important. When you sing the ah vowel, that represents like the ultimate one. And each one has another, you know, <laughs> definition. But um, ah is like everybody's <laughs> amen, right? Drama yeah, right. or, or Krishna yeah. or all those. Yeah. And did you find that to be true when you were uh, chanting or singing or creating these? Oh, I, I was so into it. I became it. I mean, <laughs> being that music is my heart, I that was just my way of doing it, you know? And that was one thing that they had at the school that I wish they had more of was the chanting. A few times uh, I went to a class, they would start it with chanting these um, phrases and prayers and different things. It's just so powerful. I remember I once uh, talked to Krishna Das, who I'm a big fan of. And of course, I, I love his music. But he said that chanting was the most popular spiritual practice in the world because wow. it's actually popular in India and China. And that makes it, you know, the most popular. And <laughs> I, I like how it, especially when you're chanting in, in a different language like Sanskrit, that it doesn't engage the mental faculties. It's engaging other parts of your being through vibration or the heart. And um, so I, I often listen to him and other people, and I have no idea what it means, but it speaks to me in a different way. Yeah, for me, it started in my body. It just was like, so it took me over. And then eventually your body disappears because you're in such a meditative state, you know. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you feel that, uh, because the next song that we're going to listen to is an instrumental, do you feel that way about just pure instrumental music? Yes. You know, I, I have lost my voice somewhat now that I'm older and I abused it horribly as a nursery school teacher, I, I don't sing that much. And so my last two CDs were instrumentals. <laughs> but uh, my sister listened to it and she goes, oh, your heart's in there. It's so beautiful. That's who you are. So, um, you know, the thing, the one song on it that I tried to be a little different, she said, no, no, no that's not you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I speak now through through my guitar. Mm -hmm. Well, music does, uh, just as Jonathan was talking about listening to other languages, it bypasses that sort of analytical part of the brain, which can, I think, um, veil our true beingness. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's too busy. Yeah. <laughs> goes directly to you. So this particular uh, number is called Shadow. Can you tell us about that? Well, I think that was just a, a thought of fighting my ego, you know. <laughs> Another song like the first one that you played, you know, the never-ending voice that won't stop in your head. And I thought it was supposed to disappear <laughs> back then. But I think you have to first you know, accept it and incorporate it, and then then it goes away. Right, right. I think that's really an important point, because if you start by trying to get rid of the voice in your head, it's going to fight back. But if you if you notice what's listening to the voice in your head, the background, the, the awareness in which it appears, that's yes. a better first step. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You found that true in your experience? Definitely. Yep. Great. So let's listen to this instrumental, Shadow. Great.
that never-ending shadow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have, I think, one last song, which uh, does have lyrics called I Believe. And I believe that's the name of the song. Yes. Uh, can you tell us uh, what the background of that song is? Well, this is a very old song. It was from the 30s, I think. And four people wrote this song, <laughs> which is pretty amazing to me. I couldn't imagine. But um, it was one of the songs that my father sang at the piano, as I mentioned earlier. And I could still see the imprint of his wallet on his pocket and his wallet sticking out as he rocked back and forth singing this song. He was so physically, mentally, and emotionally performing for himself, I guess. You know, I mean, it was it was really like a devotion, a devotional thing that he did. And he mm. sang it so many times. Um, he'd come home from church almost every Sunday, and that would definitely be in his list of songs to play. And I think it was his favorite. So I kind of put that in there with him in mind and all the numerous conversations we had about the philosophy of life. And um, one night, <laughs> my mother asked us to go to the corner store for milk or something or bread. So I asked him if I could go and I hopped in the car with him because we were, you know, having one of these conversations. And when I got, we got to the top of the hill, we lived out in, way out in the country then. We were going through this vineyard and the sky just turned totally sunny like a day for many, many seconds. And we were both like, oh my God, did we bring this on? No. <laughs> and we were shocked and we didn't know what it was. And no one had seen it or heard it except us, or at least we didn't hear about it. We got home and my mother said, yeah, I thought that was lightning. And, you know, it was such a mystery. And it ended up being a, a meteorite that landed in Michigan. But we saw it, I mean, right on that moment. And, you know, just spurred more talk about space and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I've, I'm off on a tangent about my dad and I, but <laughs> this song was for him. But I had to get my two cents in by changing some of the words or adding to them to put a little non-dual spin on it. Good. And do you have any advice since he was, as you've mentioned, listened to it in a, or sang it in a kind of devotional way for our listeners as we listen to it? Yes, I highly recommend it. <laughs> All right. So let's listen to the devotional I believe, and let's listen from that pure, clear, open space of awareness. See what happens.
the smallest prayer will still be heard by us all. I believe that someone in a great Every word we all can hear. Every time I hear a newborn baby cry or touch a leaf or see. Beautiful song, Patricia. If for our listeners who want to uh, know more about you and how to get your music, how what's the best way for them to contact you or reach or know about your music? Well, my uh, website is denison-music.com. Can you spell that D-E-N-N-I-S-O-N? That's correct. Uh-huh. And uh, all my cds are there and there's a place to write to me and a a little blurb that i put on there and a connection to heaven and earth but too you know the music there so one thing that struck me during that last song and and after we sign off we're going to play one final song to end our program but one thing that struck me while i was listening to that is i was really hearing it inside me and you know, we often think of music and in fact, all our perceptions as being outside of us coming in, but really the actual experience of all of our senses, all of our perceptions are actually inside us. Do you mm. that as well? Absolutely. I mean, when I'm uh, writing a song or being inspired by the music, you go to that place where you don't know how it happens. It just comes from within. And, uh, you know, afterwards, <laughs> in fact, listening to a few of these songs, I haven't heard them in a while. I I forgot about that, um, that part of my life. You know, it's so different now that um, I, the journey is really so sacred. And you forget that unless you go back there and remember. I'm glad you got a chance to go back there. Yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity, too. <laughs> I haven't heard these songs in a while, so. Well, they're beautiful, and there are a lot more. Thank you so much. And uh, Jonathan, would you like to add anything before we do our final song? And, uh... Thank you to Patricia and, of course, uh, to our listeners, always keep exploring. Love to to have met you, Jonathan, and good luck with your show. And thank you so much, both of you, for for allowing me to visit you guys. Total, total pleasure. And what we're going to do now is I'm going to play a song called I Am. And it's kind of a meditative song. There aren't many lyrics, so they repeat over and over again. But what I invite our listeners to do is to listen 
from that clear, open space of awareness that you are. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.